Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. I keep coming back, like I said last week, I just simply point these words out that are in this eternal book. These words will never change. And Jesus, it's his word. You said this, Jesus. You said, you said the authority of your word. You said, ask and keep on asking and it will be given you. You said that in John 14 again. You said, Jesus, ask anything in my name, it will be granted you. And you said in John 16, Jesus, whatsoever you ask the Father now in my name, he will give it to you. And I mean, it's just this thing. You come by the right of your necessity to be free. But you come on the authority of God's word. I said you come to him and you come against your foes on the authority of what God has said. So the issue is, do you know what God has said. Amen? Because that continues to be the issue in Christianity. But he does not want us to live, just go around being so passive that nothing gets done. There needs to be something in us that suddenly rises up and says, no, I'm not going to let this happen in my house. I'm just not going to let this happen in my house. I'm not going to let this happen to my loved ones. And again, it's something that I'm just going to say it again. You have to reinforce. Amen. Now, Father, I give you thanks this morning again for this, this part of this truth that you want me to share. As we continue to look at this, what I'm calling what faith looks like, and I'm asking you, Father, again, by Holy Spirit, to open up the eyes. Again, I pray that prayer from Ephesians 1. Would you open the eyes of the hearts of these people? I say it again, their hearts have eyes. I am not so concerned about their head. I want the eyes of their heart to be opened, that they might see these truths, that you would grant them that spirit of wisdom and revelation, that they might take fast hold of your word and see that this is simply how you function. This is the way Almighty God works. So, Father, I just thank you for doing this. Thank you for helping it this morning. In the holy name of Jesus Christ, somebody say amen. Amen. Like I said, I'm sharing about what I'm trying to talk about is just simply how I want us to look again at just how what faith looks like. That's what I've been teaching on for a few Sundays now because the Lord told me to go back and go right back to some of the basics. So go back to Romans 4. I want to read the patent scriptures that we're working with in these in these messages, if you will. But uh, I want to say something else um, when we were at the barn the last two days teaching. One of the things, you know, we were talking about how, what it means to prepare to have purpose in your life. But one of the simple points God gave me, the very first one, this may sound so simple that it would mean nothing to you. But you know what? You need to begin by personally making the decision that God's way is the best way. Uh, that's as simple as it can be. But, I mean, there has to be something in you that says... I'm actually making this choice to believe. If it's God's way, if God says this is the way you do things, then hallelujah, this is the way I'm going to start doing things. In other words, you, you, God is bringing us all to a point in this age, this dispensation right now. I don't think he's satisfied with us just giving a little, a bit of ourselves to him. He really is looking for full disclosure. I mean, he's looking for a total surrender. 
And I, I'm going to be right there with you. When you mention total surrender, it is rather a frightening thought. But again, if you really begin to get into God's word and you really discover the attributes of God, his character, his integrity, his unchangeableness, and above all, his goodness and his desire to love you, his desire to do nothing ever to harm you. Romans 12 says love never hurts anybody. That's God. God's got nothing in him at all that would ever cause harm or hurt. And so in the beginning, you have to make this decision. There's nothing in this God that will ever hurt me. So it is okay, even if I don't understand. And that's the real, bu the real bugaboo for so much, so many of us, remember. We want our finite brain, our intellect, wants to be able to understand it perfectly before we give ourselves fully because we, we don't want to appear foolish before other people because we think we have to always, quote unquote, explain ourselves and explain our actions. But you have to get to the place where you don't even care if you don't have understanding if I see that it's God's will, particularly the New Covenant, New Testament, if I see this is God's way of doing things, I'm going to start doing it His way. Now that sounds so simple, but see, you have to begin at the beginning. He that cometh to God, what? Must believe that He is. And He is everything that He says He is. Julie used the phrase El Shaddai, you know, the resty one, I mean, the God who is more than enough. And that was His all. all altogether name of his that was used in the Old Testament, El Shaddai, a God who's more than enough. God is not enough. He's buku more than enough. He's far more than you could ever, ever, ever hope to understand. But I'm just saying, so as we continue looking at what faith looks like, really somehow go down deep and say, uh, it's time, because I believe it is time for many of you. It's been, some of us has been long past time, but it's time it's actually time for you to go ahead and surrender and say, you know what? I'm done with being half in and half out. I'm done with sitting on the fence. I truly am, I, I really believe God is who he said he is. I believe, I believe his ways, therefore, are the correct ways. They're the right ways to do life and then get involved with it and then stick with it. And the glory is you will see, because God is not a man that he should lie. I'm telling you, I'm sitting here as picture proof of it. He will show himself faithful. He will, like Deji was sharing this morning about something God spoke to him yesterday about how trustworthy God is. He will show himself absolutely trustworthy. Again, he wants us to get delivered from some thought of him and heaven Jesus, Holy Spirit is being some nebulous cloud fog thing out there. No, 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 no. He's incredibly real, incredibly alive, and he's incredibly on, and he is ready, and he is willing, and he is far more than able to show himself strong to you. And more than that, like I keep quoting that verse about his eyes racing to and fro around the earth, looking for somebody to show himself strong to, he's still doing that this morning. I just, I will forever love to just close my eyes and see that he's racing everywhere. Is there somebody? Is there somebody? Is there somebody here? I want to show myself strong to somebody. 
Will somebody be a candidate? Will somebody actually let me? But see, the thing is about kingdom principles. You have to learn to cooperate with them and very simply get in a line. But, you know, this is an open book test. You know what I mean? If you're ever in university or in school, there's always a wonderful thing when you had an open book test when you could re- refer to the text and know what you're, you know, to answer the text. This is an open book exam. We've got the book and we can open it anytime we want. Is anybody here? And yeah, you can see it here. But Romans, real quickly, Romans 4, we're just going to read these that I spoke on the last couple of times, but I just, like I said, they're kind of like our, our uh, working text with this. In Romans 4.13, Amplified, it's talking about the promise to Abraham, but I want you to see it as the promises, any and all the promises of God. I just want you to catch this statement again about faith. For the promise to Abraham that he should inherit the world. This is the promise God gave to him that he should inherit the world, that his children would be as many as the sand of the sea. It did not come through observing the commands of the law. In other words, it didn't come from obeying a list of do's and don'ts, right? Right? Achieving the promise, inheriting the promises of God do not come from obedience to a bunch of rules, but this is the practice. He says, but it came through the righteousness of faith. Now, I go over this every Sunday just about, but the word righteousness, again, it means right standing. It means, in other words, how things work. This is how it works. The promise, he inherited the promise because Abraham did something that had right standing with God. This said God loved that. He said, oh, that's the way I am. That's the way I work. That's what I look for. You came through that tool. You came through that spirit. You came through this thing called belief, faith. He said, so I'm going to give you this right standing. I'm going to give you right standing. I love when Julie, like I said, I bought her this Passion Bible. And in uh, Romans uh, 4, 3, there were talks about how uh, God... uh, that Abraham was, righteousness was imputed to Abraham, you know, uh, through faith. But it was funny, in the Passion Bible, it just said this simply. It said, God took his righteousness and transferred it to Abraham's account because Abraham had faith. I just thought that's so simple, like a bank. God said, okay, I see faith. Okay, guys, Michael, Gabriel, transfer righteousness to his account. But see, the thing is, that's the issue why we're going to teach on this more and more and just make sure we at least got this principle down. This is one of the first principles of the scriptures, you know, Hebrews 6, 1, one of the basic fundamental fundamentals of all faith, faith towards God. He said promises get transferred to people when they give me faith. Okay? I'm trying to find out think about the simplest way to say this so again that's what it says it says Romans 4 13 the promise came through the right standing that is faith when you op- when you walk by faith and not by sight faith and remember Hebrews 11 1 faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen well, actually Put Hebrews 11, 1 up real quick in the Amplified, if you don't mind, John. Let's just read it from there, too, so that you can see it. This is one of the basic teachings of all faith message, but it's very, very powerful. Now, look at that. 
Faith is the assurance, the confirmation of the title deed. Anybody know what a title deed is? Like to a house, a car. When you pay for something, when it's paid for entirely, they will give you the title deed for something. Now, even like, let's say, like the one time, I remember when my father bought a brand new car. He paid for that car totally, but the car wasn't delivered yet, but he had a title deed. So he came home and showed us kids one having, my mom said, look, we have a brand new car. And of course, I looked outside to see it in the driveway. It wasn't in the driveway, but we had it because we had the title deed. Got it? And see, God says through here, this is the power and the importance of faith. He said, faith is what we need to see. When you have real living faith, faith becomes the title deed. In other words, it's the thing that makes you know. And this is what pleases him. When you know something before it's manifested. I said, when you know something and you believe it before it's manifested. Listen, you've already lived by faith in that you're here, I assume, because you are saved. You're born again because you believed in Jesus, whom you've never seen. You've believed in God, who you've more than likely never seen. Well, the Bible says no man hath at every time, any time seen God. But see, you've already believed in something you haven't seen. And if you really are honest, there's already been a manifestation of things change in your life, right? I mean, I know, you know, I know how much I've changed, but I mean, there has been change in your life already simply because you already have believed in something that you can't see. Hallelujah. And that's just proof. But read it again. Faith is the assurance. It's the confirmation. It's the title deed of the things we hope for. It's the proof of things we do not see. It's the conviction of the reality. And then this wonderful phrase, faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. Now here again, as I started out with, you need at some point to aggressively make the decision to believe God's way is the best way and God's way is the correct way. Now, when God says this scripture was God-breathed, will you agree with me about that? All scripture has been given by God. So I, I just, I'm going to, so I'm going to go through another aspect before I go a little bit further. In um, Psalm 89, 34, let's put that up real quick. We're all pretty familiar with this, one, but just really catch this. I said last week a little bit, I talked about how perfect God is, and I'm going to read through those verses. But of course, uh, Psalm 89, 34 is where God says, my covenant will I not break. I will not alter that which has come out of my lips. Now, he means that. But that should give us hope. That should give us great peace. He will not change what has come out of his mouth. This is why you can trust in him when, he has, when you have seen what he has spoken about you or to you. Again, this is ultra simplistic, but this is why it's like Paul said in Corinthians, I have believed, therefore have I spoken. 
So you need to know what you believe, but the point is faith, what faith looks like. If you believe something, Scripture says you will speak it. Right? And in fact, we know we turned turned around the other way. It remains true that I know a whole lot about what you believe when I listen to you speak. Because it is a spiritual law. It's a law of the spirit realm. What you believe, you will wind up speaking, particularly when the pressure's on. Amen? So again, none of that's to condemn us. It's to cause us to become aware. And it's to help us recognize where to make alignment. You hear me? Where to get in better alignment. So anyhow, then you come down. Now go back to Romans 4, verse 16, the Amplified Bible. And we'll read this one again. Then we'll get to these other verses. Romans 4, 16 is where, again, Paul says, Therefore, inheriting the promise. Now, think about it. Whatever the promise is. The Bible says that people say there's something like 5,500 promises in the Scripture. And all of them, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1, have been fulfilled and said, answered, yes, by Christ Jesus. You remember that verse? All the promises, all, all, all the promises of God have been answered, yes, and amen, in Christ Jesus. He answered all of God's promises. But here in verse 16, it says, therefore, inheriting a promise is the outcome of faith. It depends entirely on faith. Why? In order that there might be given as an act of grace. In other words, so that it can be a grace gift. God instituted this law of faith so that his promises would be available to whosoever will. In other words, it wasn't, he knew some people have a greater strength in their will, whatever, they can do more and do whatever. But he said, I want to take the whole game of having to do stuff out of the picture. I want it to be, I want my promises to be available to you through a grace gift. And it's called faith. This is the work, Jesus said, that you believe. All I'm asking you to do is believe. I'm not asking for you to figure it out. I said I'm not asking for you to figure it out. I'm asking that you go beyond your head where you figure and you go into your heart where you believe or you make a decision. Belief does come first as a part of a decision. So therefore, inheriting the promise is the outcome of faith and depends entirely on faith in order that there might be given as an act of grace so it can be made stable and valid and guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the devotees and adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham, who is thus the father of us all. Okay. Now, uh, I turn to Deuteronomy 32.4, if you would, or if you want to put it up. I just want to speak to this. Last week, like I said, you know, when I was t- taught on the tithe a couple of weeks ago, to, you know, from Robert Morrison's message, you remember uh, I shared from his teaching something and it really impacted me, this thing about how he said that, you know, you know, God doesn't think. Do you remember? And he said, now I know immediately people say, well, in Isaiah it says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. But he said, but yeah, that's true. But it proves what he's saying. God doesn't think. Now, stay with me again for a moment. It's okay. Teaching comes by repetition. You've got to say things more than once. God doesn't think like we think. Do you remember why? Because human beings, we think 
to figure things out, right? I said, we think to try to figure things out. God doesn't have to figure anything out. I said, God doesn't have to figure anything out. So see, he doesn't think like we as humans think. If he could change, he could become better. But he can't change. He's omniscient. It's also called the immutability of God. He cannot change. Excuse me, the immutability of God. He cannot change. Again, why? Because if God could change, he could become better. But it's impossible for God to become better because he's already perfect. Again, omniscient, omni, all, science means knowledge. He's all knowledge. So there's nothing that, you know, like we think about stuff and go, you know, it suddenly dawned on me. Let me tell you, God has never got up one morning and said, you know what, it just suddenly dawned on me. <laughs> no. You know what I mean? He never has said, you know what, it occurred to me. No, because he's all. He knows all. Now, I just, I, you really have to catch this. See, don't fall asleep right now. Because this is what births a living, vibrant, even aggressive faith. You make the decision, you begin to understand, my God is perfect. Therefore, like he said in Matthew, I mean, Psalm 89, I never altered the thing. When he spoke, he spoke perfect words. He spoke perfect truths. The spiritual laws he spoke to us about are perfect spiritual laws. He will never alter them. He will never alter them. He will never alter them because he knows that's what works because he made them work because he put the truth in motion. But he can't force you and I to take and receive them as truth. But that's his hope. That's his eternal hope. Will you receive this is how I do things? Will you understand I'm not trying to keep anything from you? In fact, I'm showing you how to have an open book test. This is how you succeed. Do these things. Keep these ordinances. Understand my precepts. Obey them. And you will see all this good happen. Now, it's as simple as that, isn't it? Come on, wake up. Does anybody say, yeah, please, thank you, and am. But in Psalm, Psalm 8, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 32.4, again, I just want to look at a few verses about his perfection. But in Deuteronomy 32.4, it says, He is the rock. His work is perfect. I want you to be able to say perfect with a really loud sound on the P. Perfect. <laughs> I, want you to, I, want you to, I want you to get to the place where you're beyond hoping and you're... You, you make the decision, my God is perfect. He's perfect. His words are perfect. In other words, see, I can trust this because it's perfect wisdom. I said it's perfect wisdom. He is the rock. His work is perfect for all his ways are law and justice. A God of faithfulness without breach or without deviation. Just and right is he. He will not change. The Bible said he's not like an eclipse. He's not like a sun that was shady one day and not shady. There is no variableness. There's no shadow of turning with him because he's perfect. He's absolute. It is so. It is so. 
All I know is the more you meditate on this, the more, again, faith just comes. Like I said, whether me praying for my friend or you praying for your situation, whatever, you just realize, wait a second, like I said in the beginning, see, I'm knowing this stuff now, and I have faith because I know that it's the authority of his spoken word that's perfect, that can never change. See, I have this faith that I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you, heaven, about this situation on the authority of this word that will never change. It will never change. It's perfect. It was spoken by him who is perfect, who never changes, who never will alter that which has come out of his lips. He's perfect. This truth is perfect. I can put this perfect law in my mouth and it will do what you said it would do because in Isaiah you said your word in my mouth would produce. You said that your word will never return unto you void. It will fulfill. It will fulfill. It can't not fulfill. See, that's what you have to see. Corn seed will not ever bring anything forth but corn. Wheat seed will not ever bring anything other than wheat because God's instituted it that way. And he wants us to be like little children and say, God, no, this is true. Well, it doesn't look like it. I don't care what it looks like. This is true. This is true. And it's like you've heard me say years and years, you know, you have to understand the difference between something that is momentarily factual. It's a fact. You have to be able to understand the difference between fact and truth. You have to know that facts can change, but truth never does change. Right? Really? Therefore, we do what Paul said. We look not at the stuff that's changeable. I look not at that which is temporal. Because those things can change. He said, but I keep my eyes on that which is eternal, which is deathless and everlasting. Hallelujah. Psalm 1830. Similar, it says, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tested and tried. He is a shield to all those who take refuge and put their trust in him. He's perfect. I just want to get this into your head. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's perfect. Go ahead. At least three or four times. He's perfect. I'm telling you, he's perfect. Even the Hebrew word for perfect, it's this Hebrew word. It's transliterated into English. It's tamim. It's T-A-M-I-M or T-A. It's pronounced like T-A-M-E-E-M. But the literal definition of the word says to be incontestable and absolutely free from objection. Hallelujah. Perfect. God's word is incontestable. Nobody can bring a contest against it. And it's absolutely free of any possibility of objection because God has spoken it and it is so. Hallelujah. Psalm 12, 6 says, The words and the promises of the Lord are pure words like silver refined in an earthen furnace, purified seven times over. Hallelujah. Psalm 119.40 says, Your word is very pure. It's tried. It's well refined. Therefore, your servant loves it. Hallelujah. Um, turn to Psalm 119.37. I don't have that on my notes, but put up one Psalm 119.37. Look at this one. I just like this one. Psalm 119.137. I said 137. Thank you, Bonnie. It says, I like this because of the word rigidly. It struck me. Rigidly righteous are you, O Lord. 
and upright are your judgments and all expressions of your will. It's just that I don't know why, but God kept putting me on pause about the word rigid. And he wanted me to just think about it. I kept thinking, what's it mean to be rigid? And of course, I'm just saying the same thing about our God. When it comes to what he said, when it comes to his laws, when it comes to his will, he is not, he's, he doesn't change. He's rigidly upright. But you have to understand all this rigidly uprightness is for your benefit. So that he, you can trust in him. So that you can have a strong foundation for faith in him. And whatever the area is. But here again, all of this keeps coming back. But do you know what is written? Because God's will is found in his word. Do you know what is written? In other words, you need to know, well, what is God's will? Well, again, open his book, open his mouth, and he will speak to you. This is his will. And again, I say it all the time, this is why you stay in the New Testament more than anything else, because you see his current will right now in this new covenant that we, both, that we all live in right now. This is the will of God. This is the will of God. This is the will of God. Now, I know people, I think I may have mentioned this last week, a lot of people want to know other areas of, well, what's will, the will of God for my life in this area, or what's the will of God in my life in that area? Well, what I had to learn, what I had to learn a long time ago is this. If you're looking for the will of God and say this particular area, I guarantee you, you'll never understand that as clearly as you need to until you go ahead and obey the known will of God that you find in the book. See, if we're being disobedient to the known will, we don't need anybody to ask us. We know it's because we can read it. This is the will of God. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus, you know, giving thanks. You know, giving, tithing, being kind, walking in love. I know that's the will of God. But if I won't even do that, if God sees this in me, you know, he says, if you're faithful over little things, I'll make you faithful over much, remember? So he watches. That's just the way it is, guys. He does love us, but he watches. He's a real father. He's a father that deals out responsibility and waits to see if you'll accept the responsibility so that he can remember release the authority that goes along with acceptance. But if we don't accept responsibility, neither will he pour out authority. So he gives us little things and he proves us with things that are good. Here's something good. And that's what I said, even the spiritual things, love. Will you, how much, you know, will you be kind? It's so amazing to me how difficult it is for some people just to be kind. And yet kindness is one of the greatest gifts on planet Earth when you actually find it. Somebody that just is kind. It's easy to be kind. Some people go out of their way to be unkind. It's, I think to myself, my God, how sad their life must really be if, you know, if they live like that. And we've all met people like that. You know, it's just, you're just, it, it actually hurts your heart. You know, there's just nothing. But I'm just saying, so, you know, it's like I heard Bill Johnson say, when he said, what's God's will? Well, he said, what Jesus said to his disciples, he said, heal the sick, raise the dead, Cast, uh, cast out demons and heal the lepers. And he said like this, he said, well, somebody said, well, what about though whom I'm supposed to marry? He said, but I want to get married. I want to know the will of God for getting married. He said, well, that's okay. Just go ahead and get married, but then heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper. <laughs> you know what I mean? Whatever it is. Well, I want to play an instrument. Well, go ahead and play that instrument, but in the meantime, heal the sick, raise the dead, preach this gospel. In other words, what's the known will? Let's do the known will of God and you'll find all the other areas getting less and less gray 
So that's just simple. So I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be thankful. I'm going to be grateful. I'm going to be an encourager, as I continue to say in this church. Every single Sunday, every, for that matter, every day in my life, I like to find somebody to encourage. Even John Vinsel back there, John who works in the office with us, he's at there. He comes in. I even find a way to be encouraging to John. See, because I walk by faith. Right, Jules? Yes. Sorry, she won't agree. And John the other day, he even encouraged me. I am up, fainted. I literally almost fell off my chair. He encouraged me. Because I finished my Love Walk book finally. And I'm letting him read it. And he actually got brought me a word of encouragement. I almost anyhow. But encourage people. Do the known will of God. Do you hear me? Is there anybody still here? Whatever. So again, that's all now, but look at the thing about faith though <clears throat> is that we want everything to happen immediately, because that's our human nature. <clears throat> but I, I just want to, before I jump to another area here, I want, to, I want you to put up Psalm 106.13. 106.13. This is the verse I used a long time ago. Look at this verse. But they hastily forgot his works. Listen, they did not earnestly wait for his plans to develop regarding them. Wow. Now, have not, haven't we all been there at times? See, there's something. Our God... Again, like I said, you have to believe <clears throat> that he's, <clears throat> excuse me, rigidly upright. He's perfect in all his ways. <clears throat> I'm sorry. God, no, it's okay. I don't need any water. I just have a frog in my throat, as we say in America. I don't know how you get a frog in your throat. Anyhow. But you see, God's, you have to believe God's ways are best. So the thing is, we, this is why you have to possess patience. In your patience, you possess your soul. You have to understand patience. But most of us have paid the price, sadly, for moving ahead too quickly. We did not allow God's plans to develop in our life. We went or that. We knew that God couldn't do it by himself. We knew that the Holy Spirit needed help, right? The Holy Spirit needed our help. And so we got involved in it, and we thought, well, we'll help God along, and we'll help the Holy Spirit along because he's just not as, maybe, you know, it might have been a bad day. Whatever, but no, see, that's wrong. You just, this is, see, the promises coming to pass is like I said, all of them, it says, but you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might inherit the promise. That's Hebrews as well. Now, did you really hear that verse? But you have need, it says, first of all, cast not away your confidence because it has great recompense of reward. But you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. So the issue is patience. And this is why, again, it's so simple when you understand that this is why you have to lay hold on eternal life as well. Now, all these are deep, but they're all there for you to take. You need to develop a revelation of eternity. You that are born again, have already received eternal life. Is that what scripture says? Yeah. You already have eternity. Well, that God kind of thinks that should make you rejoice once in a while. You have eternal life right now. So again, like I say, your, your train ticket's already been punched. You see, no matter what else happens in your life, what it, no, no, you really got to, no matter what else happens in your life, 
your destiny is secure. You've already made it. I said, you've already made it. God never changes his mind to whom he sends his call. You will reside in heaven and bliss for the rest of your eternity. Hallelujah. So what that does to me, it makes me look at things down here as best I can through that filter so I don't faint in my mind. Father, I know I want this to happen right now, right now, right now, but you know things I don't know. And I'm simply going to be patient. And none of us like being patient, let's be honest. But the fact is, it is the spiritual power that when you possess it, again, it causes you to possess your soul. You keep control of your mind, your will, and your emotions when you learn the art of patience. Patience. And so that's one of your favorite prayers. Remember our favorite prayer? Lord, give me patience and give it to me now. Right? Amen? I want patience and I want it now. Hallelujah. So I'm going to look at a few verses now real quickly. He said, smiling, my phone, my, what is over here? Yeah, I'm going to do good. I just, so now we're saying, how do, what does faith look like? So I'm actually going to look through just, one of the things I did in the last couple of months, again, I, I do it like every year, but I just, when I went through all the four gospels, I just got up my little notepad and I, you know, I just made a note of every single scripture where healing took place. Every single scripture in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, you know, I've done that for many years now, probably 25 years, where I look at every single verse where it says the crowds were healed, he cast out devils, whatever. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing to do because, again, I never will forget when what I want to share right now really hit me for the first time. So I'm just going to go through a bunch of scriptures quite quickly. Uh, and let, I want, They're all going to be, I just decided to do it in the book of Luke. So Luke 4, real quickly. We're going to go through just several healings. We're not going through all the healings that are even in the book of Luke whatsoever. But Luke 4, in, uh, starting in verse 38 and 39, 7 in my Bible. Here is where it says, then he, in verse 38, it says, this is, um, with this Jesus, and he arose, left the synagogue. He went into Simon's, Simon Peter's house. Now, Simon Peter's mother-in-law was suffering in the grip of a burning fever, and they pleaded with him for her, standing over her. I want you to watch this as we go through these other scriptures. So this woman needed healing, right? What did he do? He rebuked the fever. Right? Amen. Now, again, watch this, because he rebuked the fever. Now, just keep that in your mind. Now go to chapter 5, verse 12 and 13. Chapter 5. It says, while he was in one of the towns, there came a man full of and covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you are able to cure me and make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched him, saying, I'm willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. Now I'll go ahead and put you in the game ahead of things. When you study the healings, when you study how Jesus administered healing, and this is why I said, what does faith look like? Uh, many of you, I'm, I trust already as a word, know this, but I know it too, but I know how important it is for me to go over and get it refreshed over and over again. 
But it occurred all those years ago when I first saw it. Jesus Christ never prayed for the sick. He spoke to the sick. Or he spoke to the sickness. Like he rebuked the fever. Or he spoke to the devil. He cast them out with his words. But see, again, I just I want to go over these. That's all we're going to do this morning. But I want you to catch this for yourself. What does faith look like? Well, in the hands of Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God made manifest, Jesus saying, if you've seen me, you've seen how the Father works. Catch this. We pray about things that we should be speaking to. But we pray about them, thinking we're being very spiritual, and hardly anything happens. What you do find out when you study the life of Christ, when he does pray, you'll find out he prays to know what to say. Now I'm asking you, like I tell everybody else, I always used to quote from Acts 17, 11, those in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with readiness of mind, but they searched the scriptures daily whether or not those things were so so what i'm asking you is search them for yourself but see you have to catch it to you you won't catch it from what i know you'll catch it when you see it one of the things uh, i heard somebody say a while back that really hit me uh, when you're going through i don't think i mentioned this last week but when you go through like uh, well you know when nebuchadnezzar the kings and you see the pride that's in the midst of these kings nebuchadnezzar and his uh son, uh, Belshazzar, and I forget the next one after that. But the thing is, there's a statement in there. It says that though God spoke to them, it says they didn't see, but they did not see, hear, or know. But they did not see, hear, or know. And what, I, what, I, what caught me was this. You can see, but not look. See, in church, in other words, remember Moses when he saw the bush aflame with light or you know on fire it says he turned aside to look now this is the issue with a lot of us now you've got to catch what i'm saying i hear me in the spirit by now a lot of people come to church and they'll i see that but they don't look you hear what i'm saying they don't persevere they don't look into it enough until the image is formed A lot of people here, like right now, faith comes by here. A lot of people here, your physical ears, your eardrum is being tingled by the vibrations coming out of my mouth. But the question is, are you listening? So the churches are full of people who hear, but they don't listen. Then the final one is no. It's like, you know, how Jesus said, or rather how the prophets like in Isaiah will say, the people honored me with their lips, but their hearts were far from me. Also, the issue is no. You can know, like if I ask you, what's Mark eleven twenty two say? A lot of you will know that it says, have the God kind of faith. But there's the difference between knowing what it says and learning. Because the proof of learning is obedience. 
The proof of learning is being a doer. So people see, but do not look. People hear, but they do not listen. And people know, but they don't learn. And that's what all of us and what we want all of our people to graduate to. Are, do, are you hearing me? In other words, see, it takes a little work. It takes some time. You don't go through this one time and get it all. You do know that, right? I mean, you're, you're intelligent people. You know that. You know, your multiplication tables in school, they didn't teach you one day, and that was it, and never take you through them again. If they did, I wish I would have went to your school. But oh, not, the way, not that way in mind. You know, over and over and over and over and over again, over again, you go through these basic things, but they are the foundation of having any mathematical skill. Learning the, learning the notes, the chords, playing a guitar, and you, I mean, you have to go over them over and over and over again until something called muscle memory begins to take place and you begin to just intuitively, it's like your hands know. David Powell on the keyboards, it's like suddenly your fingers just, it's like you know where to go. The sounds somehow that you want to come out somehow instantaneously at lightning speed is transferred from a willingness in the soul an understanding of the spirit to coming out of the pinkies of your hands and your fingers come out and this sound comes out of this instrument. That's an incredible miracle to me. It's amazing. But see, that's the same process for all of us. I want you to look at these things. I want you to listen to these truths. I want you to learn. Because otherwise you'll be in the same shape you were, you know, like I told you the story when I used to minister in all the major all these major penitentiaries in America because of me coming out of them. And how I, I, I always met, remember this one guy, Tommy Williamson. He was in Soledad State Penitentiary in Northern California. Soledad was one of the most violent prisons in all of America. And Tommy was like the man on the yard. He was like the baddest dude on the whole yard. This guy, nobody but nobody, I don't care what race, what gang, you didn't mess with Tommy. You just didn't. He was that kind of a guy. And, but I knew him in the old days when having, so I get saved and I start doing prison ministry. And I, one day, <laughs> I, think, I don't know if that's what, no, that wasn't, I was going to say Jamie, no, that was prison over here in England. But anyhow, I'm, I forget, we were with a couple of people on the team. And uh, anyhow, long story short, I walk up and they walk you through, I went through the gates, went through the gun towers, went through all that area and came in, you know, with pleasant remembrances of my earlier days. <laughs> Hi, Mr. Gun Tower, you know, you know. But anyway, and I came up, and there's several fences, and I saw Tommy way off in the distance, several guys sitting around, and I put my hand, and I yelled at him. Now, you have to understand what this would have been like. You'd, you'd have to put some. I yelled out as loud as I could, said, Tommy Williamson. I said, you punk, you sissy. And, I, and everybody, like, freaked, because they went, who is who's calling this? This is, you know, like, the dude you don't, nobody, nobody, know how, nowhere messes with, and somebody's calling him a punk and a sissy. And man, he rears up, he looks around, and he sees me, and he looks out at me, and he gets up, and he says, Rut. Well, he called me Bear. My nickname was Bear in those days. He says, Bear, is that you? You know, he come, long story. He comes over, man. He starts to talk to me. He starts cracking up, laughing. He said, I heard about this, man. He said, are you for real? You for real? He said, I mean, you're a, you're a Christian. You're one of them? <laughs> he said, you're one of them? I said, yeah, I am, man. And uh, I said, you know what, Tommy? I said, I can't explain it all to you, man. But I said, it's real. I said, my whole life has changed, man. I said, I didn't say I'm perfect, but man, I'm changed. And he looked at me, and you know, nobody's standing around. He's got his hand on the fence like this, and I'm on the other side just looking at him. 
and big old, he just kind of looked to the left on, kind of making sure nobody on, you know, big old alligator tear came down. And he said, man, he took a deep breath. He said, I mean, I can see him right this second. He said, Rob, he said, I'm so happy for you, man. He said, I'd give anything. He said, I'd give anything if I could get off of this treadmill. I would give anything if I got off this I remember, and I looked right in his eyes and said, Tommy, I said, I got to tell you something, man, whether you understand it or not, it's an issue. I said, this stuff is so real. I said, you know how strong you are in these other areas and physically and all this stuff. I said, Tommy, I said, if you'll take this book, I said, if you'll be strong enough to not worry about what other people think, and I said, you know, most people, about everybody's afraid of you anyhow, so I wouldn't worry about it. But I said, if you'll take this book, and I said, if you'll give yourself to this book, I said, just 30 minutes a day. In the New Testament, just stay in this book 30 minutes a day. I said, just 30 minutes a day, Tommy. I said, if I could show you an overhead screen of what your life would look like just 12 months from today, I said, you wouldn't believe, you literally would not be able to believe what you saw. And see, that's the truth for every single one of us. God's transformational power is far more huge than any of us can comprehend ever. Another friend of mine, another penitentiary, Daryl, I can't even remember, no, Daryl Larson. Daryl was sentenced to 15 to life, and he had basically another nine and a half years to go on this sentence, and uh, another old running partner, idiot, a friend of mine. And uh, I began to share this with him as well when I, when we, we, I was doing prison ministry all the time in these places, you know, with this team called New Life Prison Ministries. And I began to talk to him, and he, and you remember how Paul in the book of Acts in one place, he went to, he saw somebody, and he said, Paul, perceiving that the man had faith to be healed, Paul perceived something, and Paul said, this person has faith to be healed. And so it says, Paul, perceiving this man had faith to be healed, said unto the man, pick up their bed and walk, rise and walk. Well, Daryl, man, something hit him. And I was sharing with him, because again, he knew me from the past, the old days that we were in prison together. And I told him, I said, Tom, I said, Tom, I said, said Daryl, I said, I'm telling you, God can turn, he can change anything. He said, Rod, he said, I got another nine and a half years, man. Nine and a half years before I even come to a parole violation, a parole hearing. I said, I said, you know, nothing is impossible to God. And I don't know, but that's the part I just came out with. Sister. I said, Daryl, this God that I serve, I found out, because a lot of stuff was happening. In my, you know, when you first get saved, oh, God's so good. He, all kinds of stuff was happening. I was seeing physical miracles and all kinds of stuff. But I said, I'm telling you, man, God is the God of the impossible. He can do anything for you. But I said the same thing. I said, will you give yourself to this word? Will you begin to talk to him? I said, we call it prayer, but I'm just saying, just talk to him, man. I said, talk to him like you're talking to me. Be honest. Bleed your heart out to him. Talk to him. I said, you know, when you put your head down on that pillow in that cell, you know, just turn your head away from the walkways and, you know, those days, well, whatever, those days, like there was a two-man cell. I said, turn your head away from the, the other, other cell, the other bed. And I said, just talk and start talking. Just talk and be quiet. We're talking. But I said, really tell him. Tell him your heart. Because I said, I know that you've changed. I said, you're, and he was. He was an incredibly changed man. Well, long story short, I don't want to take all morning. He had another nine and a half years. Um, I got a letter from him 
full nine months, ten months, it may have been a year later, long story short, saying, Rod, he said, they're allowing me to go to a specialized parole hearing based upon blah, 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 some law that Ronald Reagan passed. Anyhow, within 20 months, the guy was paroled and set totally free. Now, you have to understand, in this penitentiary system in those days in California, no, no. No, there was no. The answer was just no, no. But I don't know. That's Charlie Manson days, you know, Helder Skelter and all the kind of stuff, you know, all the killings and all that jazz. And anyhow, God brought him. God just cut nine years, actually eight. I think it was eight years and nine. Cut eight years and nine months of absolutely petitioned by the judges of the state of California that he would stay in there. But God said no and took him out. And I'm just saying. See, I've, I've watched God move in so many different areas. And see, what you begin to learn by this is something called, well, you know what? I know God can do anything where he finds living faith. Remember Luke 18, but when the Son of Man returns, will he find persistence in faith? on the earth. So again, let's finish a few scriptures here then I'm going to make it, let you go home. Um, we went through, I forget the last one we went through was uh, I think the leper healed in, in uh, chapter 5. Now look in chapter 5 again on verses 18 through 25. Luke chapter 5 verse 18 through 25. Behold, some men were bringing on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. They tried to carry him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him with his stretcher through the tiles into the midst in front of Jesus, verse 20, and when he saw their faith, it says in the King James, Amplified says, when he saw their confidence in him. Now again, just catch these little things. Jesus sees faith. Faith, therefore, has in the spirit realm, listen, in the realm of spirit, faith has tangibility. Faith is substance, we read in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Is that right? Faith is substance. Heaven sees actual faith. This guy, this woman, believes. Remember, Abraham? All human reason for hope being gone. He hoped on in faith. Staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but grew strong in faith as he gave glory and praise to God. Didn't consider the deadness of his own body or the deadness of Sarah's womb. Human reason for hope, and like, that's what I said last week, remember? Understand, it doesn't mean anything to God for human reason to be gone because God's bigger than human. Come on, I'm trying to get you to wake up to something here. God. See, we get locked into this realm, this dimension. Human reason, you don't understand, Pastor Rod. Human reason is gone. It's gone. It's gone. God's, you know, if you bring that to him, he'll go, what? <laughs> what's, what, what's, what? What do you mean by human reason? I told you to come reason together with me. I told you to reason together with me. You're reasoning with other people. You're looking at what other people say. Look at my, look at my son Abraham. Human reason was, for hope was gone for him. 
But he hoped on in faith. And you remember the word hope in the Greek is E-L-P-I-S, elpis, and it literally means joyful expectation of the future. Joyful. So Abraham hoped on in faith. Now Abraham so believed that he had this joyful expectation of the promise being fulfilled. And that's what faith looks like. So this is why it's difficult maybe for God to see real faith in us if we're all the time crying and whining and complaining. You hear me? About why something hasn't happened yet or it hasn't gone exactly like I wanted. But like I said, remember, wait for his plans to develop. He's possibly smarter than you. I know that some of you may not believe that, but just possibly God is even smarter than you. It just takes you, remember God, we say this every week, God's outside of time. We're the ones that get freaked out by time. God doesn't have time. You know, one day is as a thousand years to God, a thousand years a day is nothing to him. He's outside that stuff. But down here, see, it just takes some time. It takes some time, a little time. It took a little time. But again, if you lay hold on eternity, a year is nothing. I said a year is nothing. These are spiritual laws. He wants us to see through eternity. All of these things taken together are what cause faith to be alive and living. Now, I said in the beginning again, I want to say it again, this is how God does things. So don't argue with me. Go to the book, go to the scriptures and see this thing. So seeing their faith, when he saw their confidence in him, verse 20, springing from their faith, he said, man, I love this. He said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Remember, the guy needs healing. But Jesus, he likes to blow. He said, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason and question and argue, saying, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, they didn't know they were talking to God alone. Verse 22, but Jesus, knowing their thoughts and their questionings, answered them and said, guys, uh, why do you question in your hearts? And I learned verse 23 is a hallmark verse in Scripture. Jesus said, which is easier? To say, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, arise and walk? Which is easier? <laughs> See, what you have to understand, well, Jesus, let me go ahead and read which is easier, verse 24, but that you may know that the Son of Man has the power of authority and right on earth to forgive sins. That you might know that the Son of Man has power to forgive, power to forgive, oh God, but that you might know that he has the power to forgive. He turned to the paralyzed guy and he said, I say to you, arise, pick up your stretcher, go to your house. And instantly the man stood up before them and picked up what he'd been lying on, went away to his house, recognizing, praising, thanking God, hallelujah. Now, there's so much in this passage, like I said, if we could take one, we can teach this one passage, say at least all Sunday morning. But catch this, Jesus said, which is easier? And this is something you and I have to receive as well. Which is easier to say your sins be forgiven or to say arise and walk? What he says when he says which is easier, what he says is, guys, they're both just as easy You know why? Because the power that forgives is the same power that heals. The power that heals is the same power that forgives. Often in Scripture, when you study healing, you'll see forgiveness and healing go together. 
So again, this is just something we learn from. That you might know that I have the power to forgive, be healed. Arise. Think about that. This is why, wow, Rod's going to keep himself from strife. <laughs> I'm going to stay in a state of forgiveness. I'm not going to let somebody else's dumb actions diminish the power of God in my life. And I'm sure not going to hold on to something that somebody did to me because they'll just do it again. Other people, people, you know, in this world, people will hurt you. And you've got to get aware of that, and you just have to get bigger than that. I've always said, you've heard me say it a thousand times, somebody makes the choice to be the bigger person. Just be the bigger person. Forgive. Who cares? Forgive. Because remember, I want to be connected to heaven. I want to be more connected to eternity. Why do I want to limit myself by being in unforgiveness? So he said, listen, the same power that heals is the same power that forgives. Which is easier? You're forgiven? Be healed. <laughs> I, I love Jesus. Jesus had a bit of an attitude about him. You know what I mean? I like it. But again, how does, he, how does the guy get healed? And again, because I want to keep on this one point. He, he said, he, in verse 24, he turned and he said to the paralyzed man, I say to you, arise. Now again, I want you to keep saying this. Did he pray for him? Huh? What did he do? He spoke to it. He spoke to it. Oh my gosh. Just real quickly, chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Well, probably, I'll probably stop earlier because I've done enough. Chapter 6, verse 6 through 10. And it occurred on another Sabbath that when he went into the synagogue and taught, a man was present whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees kept watching Jesus to see whether he would actually heal on the Sabbath. I mean, these guys were sick in order that they might get some ground for accusation against him. Verse 8, but he was aware all along with their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, come, stand here in the midst. And he arose and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, the Pharisees and so on, I ask you, is it lawful and right on the Sabbath to do good so that someone derives advantage from it or to do evil, to save a life and make a soul safe or to destroy it? Then he glanced around at them all, Turns back to the guy and he says, what? Stretch out your hand. So my question again is, but see, I want you to really see, does he pray for the dude? No. God, see, you hear me say this, but I want you to see it for yourself. I want you to see and look. Again, I want you to hear and listen. I want you to know and learn. Jesus used words like a surgeon uses a scalpel. He would pray to know what to say. But the way he delivered people was he spoke to them. He didn't pray for them. This is what faith looks like. I say again, a lot of us need to start speaking to things rather than just praying about them. Did I say not to pray? No. No, of course we pray. We commune with Almighty God. But like I said, I tell you, in my own life, often that's when I... Especially like things you learn like in intercession when you're praying in tongues a lot and God, uh, you suddenly shift from tongues, tongues into English. You'll find yourself suddenly making decrees in English about stuff you had no thoughts about whatsoever. But I'm saying you're bringing into words. In other words, you're actually bringing words and you, you're speaking two things. When you're in actual intercession, you're not asking anything. You're telling something. I'm telling you, you're telling stuff to change because you're the mouth of God right now. I hope you don't think that as pompous. I'm just telling you that's what begins to happen when you really spend a lot of time in prayer and you spend a lot of time in intercession in particular. All of a sudden, God will give you words to say 
and you're the one saying the words that he wants you to say, and those words are accompanied with his power and his authority, and things change. Hallelujah. But he did not pray, he spoke. Now let me just give you one more. Uh, chapter 7, i got about 15 more, but we won't do that. This is again another very familiar one that Jesus had finished, verse 1, after Jesus had finished all that he had to say in the hearing of the people on the mountain, he entered Capernaum, Capernaum. When I got over there, I didn't realize, but the way you pronounce it is Capernaum. I didn't know that. Now a centurion had a bondservant who was held in honor, highly valued by him, who was sick and at the point of death. And when the centurion heard of Jesus, how does faith come? Hearing. He heard of Jesus. He sent some Jewish elders to him, requesting him to come and make his bondservant well. And when they reached Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying, He's worthy that you should do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he built us our synagogue at his own expense. Jesus went with them, but when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent some friends to him, saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself. I am not sufficiently worthy to have you come under my roof. Neither did I consider myself worthy to come to you, but just speak a word. This, again, is one of the foremost faith teachings in Scripture. So listen, only another five minutes. He said, Neither did I consider myself worthy to come, but just speak a word, and my servant boy will be healed. Because he had an understanding of something, even if you've heard this a hundred times, listen to it afresh. Verse 8, what does he say? He said, because I'm also a man subject to authority. He said, what did he say? I understand how authority works. I understand how authority works. And what he winds up saying is, I see you have more authority than any of this stuff. Do you see that? Do I see that? Human reason for hope is not a big deal to God because his authority is far beyond the authority of any human reason that says it's too late. For I also am a man subject to authority with soldiers under me. I say to one, go. And he goes. What's he understand? See, he's in the military. He knows when you speak something, these soldiers better obey because the soldiers, especially in the Roman, Roman regiments, you don't obey your centurion. You are flogged, you are beaten, you are whipped, and you are stripped of all your, all, anything and every privilege that you have. So when somebody speaks a word, that's enough if you're a Roman soldier. He said, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my bondservant, do this, and he does it. Now, when Jesus heard this, and you have to respect what's being said here, Jesus marveled at him. The word means to be stupefied with amazement. Jesus marveled at him, and he turned, and he turned to the crowd. He said, whoa, guys, check this out. He said, I tell you, not even in all Israel have I found such great faith as this. Now, here again, little markers when you study faith and you study healing. Jesus refers to faith sometimes as no faith. People had no faith. People had little faith. But this is the only place, the only place where Jesus said, where he called this great I've not seen such great faith as this. No, not in all of Israel. And when the messengers, verse 10, who had been sent, returned to the house, they found the bound servant who had been ill quite well again. 
Soon afterward, Jesus went, whoops, sorry, I don't want to go to that one. Well, maybe, no. But anyhow, the whole point is, he, again, Jesus simply responded, and this is another thing, now, well, maybe I'll teach in the next couple of weeks. You'll find Jesus responds to where we release faith. And this is another thing we're going to have to talk about. How do you release faith? Well, it is, it's with the belief in your heart and the words of your mouth. But you, you need to see this. Jesus responds to where you release faith. This is why you need to consider it before you release your faith, because you need to ask yourself, am I going to be able to hold fast to this profession? In other words, do I actually believe it? Because you need to profess what you believe, not what you hope for. And then actually, I'm going to read the next few bits just real quickly. Verse 11, soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great throng accompanied them. Excuse me. Verse 12, just as he drew near the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. She was a widow, and a large gathering from the town was accompanying her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said to her, do not weep. And he went forward, and he touched the funeral gear, and the pallbearer stood still. And he said, now this is a dead guy. Young man, I say to you, arise from death. And the man who was dead sat up, began to speak. Jesus gave him back to his mother. Profound and reverent fear seized them all, and they began to recognize God and praise and praise and praise. Hallelujah. So anyhow, I've got many more, but this is what I wanted to communicate this morning. What does faith look like? I want you to just really think on this. I want you to search it for yourself. Read the scriptures about healing, because this really shows you a whole lot. I'm just going to repeat myself. He didn't pray for them the way he worked, the way faith worked through the Son of God, and we're called to copy and imitate him. He spoke to things, just like the things where he spoke to a tree. He speaks to sickness, speaks to dead people. He speaks to things. He doesn't pray about them. So start asking yourself, you know, what does faith look like my... What am I speaking to, or what am I just complaining about? What am I, quote-unquote, wishing would change? What am I hoping would get better? It won't do anything. You need to start speaking to it. In the name of Jesus. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 